and welcome to another episode of the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Williams, a junior broadcast journalism major at Howard University. Today, I'm also joined by Roden Fellows, Jonathan Scott and Parker Owens. You guys can introduce yourselves. Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Scott, and I'm a junior here at Hampton University. Hi, everyone. I'm Parker Owens. I am a senior at Morehouse College. Today, we also have the honor and privilege of having Ms. Christina Williams with us. She is a Forbes 30 Under 30 scholar, the founder of Girls Talk Sports TV, and just an overall amazing woman in sports. So thank you so, so much for joining us, Christina. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Of course. Well, we are so excited to have you, and we have so much to cover, so let's dive right in. So last week, the WNBA actually released a new set of team jerseys that I have to admit (laughs) were pretty fly and I wish I could cop one myself. Um, And last night, the league also had its WNBA draft. And it seems like with so many progressions and advancements made within the league, there still seems to be so much ignorance towards the idea of women in sports. Um, As we've seen with the comments from Draymond Green about the different pay gap and then also with Nick Young, quote unquote, Swaggy P about his comments uh, during the NCAA Women's Tournament. So, Christina, I wanted to ask you, as a woman who works in sports and is very close and affiliated with the WNBA, what is your take on this? What is your response? Um, My take on it is that I'll agree with Neka Agumake. It's saying that there's a lot of people who are just misinformed with everything that is happening. Like, yes, these women want to be paid more, but you can't disregard what's the work that's already being done. Um, Last year, the WNBA and the Players Association signed an amazing CBA agreement, um, which is a small step in the right direction. We've seen how the CBA has impacted free agency with getting players paid more money. And then to address um, the Nick Young thing, I mean, just ignorance. (laughs) Um, These women who are playing in these tournaments are even playing in the WNBA, the top 1% athletes in their sport. They deserve the same respect. You know, they train just as hard as the guys and they deserve the same treatment as well. Uh, They should not be treated based on their gender at all. And so I think that, you know, the numbers prove otherwise people can have the opinions that they want to have but the numbers prove that women's sports there is an uptick in it people are getting more interested in women's sports people are consuming it people are buying the merch we've seen what happened with the WNBA orange hoodie and how that was the fashion statement piece of the year last year but also the hype around the WNBA jerseys I mean I'm not gonna lie I was I had a little help in that (laughs) with WNBA jersey gate hashtag But, you know, people were literally running out to Dick's Sporting Goods to see if the jerseys were available. If that doesn't tell you that people are interested in women's sports, then I don't know what else you need to prove that, you know, this is a good thing. Exactly. Uh, I definitely agree. And I think although Swaggy P, Nick Young said, oh, my account was hacked. Eh, you know, that's still a pretty, you know, iffy and Draymond did try to clarify his statements. But at the same time, like you said, like these women are at the top of their game, you have to respect them. And you can't just, you know, dodge them and say, oh, well, this is a JV team during a nationally um, (laughs) tournament like the NCAA during March Madness. Parker or Jonathan, if you guys want to hop in as well. Yeah, I I definitely think um, DeAndre 
fumbled the bag on what he was supposed to say at that press conference. And I, I mean, everything he set off definitely came off as if as if it was an attack on the women, which definitely I don't think he meant to do. But regardless, I think the point he was trying to make, obviously, is that the ire and the vitriol of why that there's such a pay gap definitely needs to be pointed towards the companies that are not supporting the women that they claim they are. And I mean, he brought up the fact that, you know, we know LeBron James story. Nike's done a good job of relating him to the common person. They haven't done that same thing with a lot of these women's basketball players. So I think that if the time and infrastructure is put in to increase knowledge about the players, their backstories and all the such that I definitely think we'll see that pay gap close. Well, yeah, well, I agree with Draymond with the whole point of holding companies accountable at the same time. I don't think that he should have, you know, added the WNBA players or said, you know, fix, fix your own problem when they're not the ones who is creating it in the first place. And while he's saying that no one knows the stories, that is a lot. Like, Sue Bird just launched her own platform called Together with four different Olympians. You have Natasha Cloud, Angel McCautry, Idol Powers, who are now um, in the ownership group with Players TV, who also some of his peers in the NBA are also a part of that ownership group as well. Um, so Elena Deladon, she's dropping a documentary April 19th. You have Maya Moore getting a, a, 30, a 30 for 30 with ESPN. You have... Um, Tanea Gumake, who is executive producing an entire documentary on everything that has happened in the bubble last season. Um, so there are stories being told. There are people investing in the storytelling and there are companies who are doing it day to day. Now, whether people choose to pay attention or not, well, that's their issue and their problem. Google is free. Um, the, the Internet is free. Um, but the work is being done. And the numbers prove that, you know, the work is being done. We saw last summer ESPN, CBS put more games on the schedule for broadcast. We saw that um, the highest draft ratings in, in recent history. And so, you know, while people can keep trying to retire these old, like kind of sayings like, oh, the W is not making any money when no one cares about women's sports. I think that is just simply a lie. Now more than ever, we're seeing players um, in spaces that we usually do not see them in, tech spaces, beauty spaces. You have WMA players as coaches on NBA teams. You have former WMA players getting head coaching positions. Uh, so I think that that is a lot because we see it changing right in front of our faces. Now, we're not going to snap our fingers and all of a sudden everything, they're going to be making a million dollars. No, the WNBA is only reaching its 25th season. And so I feel like if you compare the WNBA's 25 with the NBA's first 25, the W is definitely in a great position. And so, you know, I just feel like people choose to be ignorant or choose to keep saying the same old tired things without realizing and recognizing the work that's been done and the influence that the women have within the world. I mean, look at the Georgia elections and how, you know, they help flip the Senate, the social justice movement. You know, I just think that people need to just do the work and, and figure out what's going on. Right. And I think especially when we are looking at the NCAA and the comments made by Nick Young about uh, the women's tournament and the accommodations that they weren't receiving compared to the men's tournament. I think what makes that extremely ridiculous is that the whole purpose of the NCAA is to be a not for profit. So why would the amount of revenue generated by the sport be the issue there. I think that's kind of spelling spelling out the game and speaks to the larger issue of the NCAA not necessarily living up to its name and using players' likeness and image for its own good. The Absolutely. <laughs> I agree with that. 
yeah. I mean, the women's play the women's players put on a great tournament. The women's tournament last at least five seasons has been more entertaining than the men's tournament because the level of competition is just so much tighter, and because the top WNBA stars are in uh, play college basketball, while we see NBA players, uh, the top uh, college players aren't necessarily making it to the pros in the same level or they're not making it far in the tournament in the same way. So I think we're definitely going to see that shift and we have seen it. And like uh, Christina said, this is just the first 25 years of the WNBA. This is a new league. The first 25 years of the NBA, their ratings weren't great. And we didn't see, obviously the technology is different, but we didn't see live broadcasted NBA finals games until around the eighties. I think we all just need to take a step back and give the women their due for everything that they've done. Uh, all the work that's being done in Atlanta, they pretty much single-handedly controlled that election uh, and got Kelly Loeffler out of the Georgia Senate seat. I mean, their voices and their impact, that's not something that's going to be done if you don't have an impact and if you don't have a platform. And they definitely took advantage of theirs. Absolutely. And I also think that comments like Nick Young's is very damaging to women's sports because you're still perpetuating these kind of stigmas or stereotypes that are just not true. And as you said, the women's college games were so exciting this season, a lot more than the men's and the ratings show that. Um, I think someone also did some sort of survey that showed that and social, kind of like in social rankings, like the women athletes in the NCAA ranked higher than the men as well. And so I'd say that to say, like, this is just putting sponsors on alert. Like, you guys are definitely missing out. I think Serena Williams' husband, he kind of uh, tweeted out, look, I will buy a share of the NCAA just to make sure that these women are treated correctly. And so, you know, I think more than anything, what we're seeing now is, as Draymond wanted to say, but it came off completely wrong, is hold these people, these companies accountable um, that use you for their empowerment campaigns, but then hide their dollars when it's time to invest. Uh, I think that's the key part in getting these women paid more, uh, getting them more visible, getting their stories being told, is that people can't embrace what they don't see, right? And so if the money isn't there for the investment, then, you know, people won't see it. They won't embrace the women's game. They'll keep having those old views of, oh, it's not interesting. It's not important. No one cares. Or it's a secondary league when in fact it's not. Exactly. Um, so glad to hear all of those points. And like Christina and Parker said, this is only the first 25 years. So, you know, as a woman who works in sports, I'm definitely excited to see where the WNBA is going to go. And um, just the success last night, seeing, watching the WNBA draft, it was so exciting seeing everyone and their family so excited with them. So definitely exciting that. Um, and just to switch leagues a little bit, uh, it was very interesting this past week that the Timberwolves, the Twins, and the Wild all postponed their games on Monday following the shooting of yet another Black man in Minnesota. Um, and I say this because it's so interesting and it's unfortunate that the shooting took place in the middle of another trial happening uh, for Derek Chauvin, the former police officer um, who shot George Floyd. And while he's on trial right now, we've continued to see other murders happen. So to Jonathan and to Parker as a black man in America, how did this make you feel? And did you feel that the leak and that those teams did the right thing of postponing those games? And Christina, you're also free to chime in on this discussion as well. I do want to say that uh, while I think that it was the right thing to postpone those games, it's not the same thing as what happened in the bubble with the Milwaukee Bucks 
after the Jacob Blake shooting where they postponed it in order to kind of raise awareness about what was happening as much as it was a safety concern because the situation in Minnesota is already turbulent uh, given the Derek Chauvin and the George Floyd trial and they didn't want the protests to interfere with the fans attending these games or with the games themselves. So I don't want to give too much credit to these uh, institutions and to these teams uh, because I don't think they were doing it in a, to raise awareness as much as they were doing it just to cover their own insurance. I'll second that. I mean, it's um, just just visually, it's very disheartening. Um, not only seeing uh, the Dante Wright situation, but also, I mean, we're on social media. We say Adam Toledo, he's 13 years old. We watch him get gunned down by police for literally nothing. Um, and then I mean, I think the worst part about it is the hypocrisy, because, I mean, even in the same state of Minnesota, you see a 61 year old man uh, fighting off police, hitting police with their hitting two people, two police with his car, fighting them off, hitting them with hammers. Yeah. And still getting subdued and taken in as if that's something that's normally expected. So just the difference of of how people are treated, uh, which seems to be based off the color of their skin. Uh, it's extremely disheartening. And I mean, this is not anything new that's happening. So, um, I mean, postponing a game, yeah, that'll bring some attention, but we need more. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, postponing a game, it brings a- awareness, I guess, because they have a platform, but there absolutely needs to be more done. I know the Minnesota Lynx and Cheryl Reeve, the coach and GM there, she's, um, I know she partnered with the Timberwolves to do a lot within the community in terms of, you know, just raising awareness and, you know, supporting um, local organizations who are on the ground and like doing the work. Um, also, in last night's draft, the Minnesota Lynx kind of wanted to bring more awareness to HBCUs in terms of opportunity. And they drafted the first player for the Minnesota Lynx from an HBCU, which is important, too. I mean. When we talk about systemic oppression and racism, I mean, you just go to the community level, like, where does it start? Where are people not getting opportunities? Why is this happening? And so I thought that was super dope to see um, the links do that as well. But yeah, I, I think that there needs to be more than just a game, um, you know, and and hopefully these athletes can continue to use their platform throughout um, the season and beyond to really put pressure on their local officials um, to make a change. Yeah, definitely. Um, I agree with all of you in that it definitely wasn't, you know, in the same magnitude of what happened in the in the bubble. And it did kind of seem that, you know, they postponed it and it, it brought some awareness, but at the end of the day, unfortunately, it's still happening. So there definitely needs to be more stuff done there. And Christina, I am so glad that you actually just mentioned HBCUs. Uh, as former Heisman Trophy winner and NFL running back, Eddie George was actually just named the new head coach at Tennessee State. Um, and so this is now the second prize HBCU, the new legend, you know, that's coaching a, a team. So what do you guys think about this? Do you feel like HBCUs are now getting this momentum of being put back on the map? How are you guys feeling? I'm going to... Um quote the great Adia Barnes, head coach at Arizona, and say, when we're given the opportunity, we can flourish. I think that it all starts with getting that opportunity in the first place to prove that we belong in those spaces and that we can be successful at the highest level. And so I'm happy from him. And 
as you said, I think that HBCUs are definitely coming back on the map. And I think that it's a great thing and a great direction to be headed. Yeah, I like the hire. Um, he doesn't really have previous coaching experience, but he's got a wealth of knowledge. He's a former Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, he's the type of name that's going to bring attention to a program like Tennessee State. So recruiting wise, I think it's a win all the way around. I think especially when you take in uh, that he was a Tennessee Titan, he was one of the pillars when they were moving the team in from Houston to Tennessee he, to help bring in the community. He can definitely get a lot of recruits uh, through those connections that he has there. We're seeing that. And this is something I actually got to talk to with in my piece about Morehouse College and the course being taught by Chris Weber. He mentioned that he wants to see uh, – more attention brought to HBCUs and more focus brought on HBCUs. And he thought that uh, moves like Deion Sanders and now moves like Eddie George are the way to go. You're giving these players who did, weren't really up for coaching opportunities, didn't really have oppor opportunities to make their own kind of way within their sport. If you're giving them the platform, kind of mentor young people and to uh, recruit college students and to coach college, especially at HBCUs, it's going to benefit both the program and, and the individuals. Uh, Eddie George is going to be able to build out his resume and kind of have another legacy outside of just playing football. Now he's going to be able to mentor and have a whole new kind of crop of football players come from his knowledge and from what he's been able to instill. So I'm really excited to see how this plays out and wishing all the best to uh, both Eddie George and continuing the success for uh, Deion Sanders. Right. And I think it's an interesting point you brought up, Jonathan, you know, about his coaching experience. He doesn't really he's not really coming in with the most experience. So I have a question for you guys. Do you think that's going to be a at point any point of hindrance to him? Do you think that's not going to? really help him it's going to hurt him more than it helps him because it's not like he's just going in oh I'm, I'm going to be the advisor to the team no he's the head coach so you know he's got to know how to make some moves how do you guys what do you guys feel about that I mean I don't think he'll be walking into this blind I think Tennessee State will be able to equip him and I mean through the connections he has with NFL with NFL players and coaching staff he'll be able to um He'll be shown the ropes. I mean, he'll be able to come in with people that are, um, if not more experienced in the coaching side, he won't be alone. So I think he'll definitely have some help. Yeah, I don't really, I mean, I don't I don't think it'll be a struggle. I just think like this is a win. I mean, I expect to see more, more professional or previous players, more notable names start throwing their hat into the ring for coaching jobs. And I mean, if it starts with HBCUs and extends to them coaching more big programs like PWIs. I think I think that's just the start of more to come. Yeah, I think this is a great thing, uh, and I don't think the lack of coaching experience from Eddie George really matters because I don't think that the way that me I'm someone that thinks that the head coach should be someone that kind of rallies the team and kind of just keeps them on a singular goal and focus. And all the teams that Eddie George played on, uh, from Ohio State to Tennessee. They all kind of have the same mentality, all kind of, uh, you know, and he's going to instill that, you know, just run it down your throat, hard nose, kind of aggressive football style. He's going to instill that into his team. And I think that's the most important thing and just building the culture that you want and the standard of excellence that you want. I don't think that the X's and O's or anything else are that important. And I don't think that you're going to need previous coaching experience. He knows what it takes to 
succeed at the top level he has. So I don't think that that's going to uh, pose too much of an issue. Yeah. And I mean, um, you know, just as a last point, we saw how we were able to watch Jackson State. You know, we saw saw their games being broadcasted. And I think that was just a, such a good thing because we got to see HBC football. So hopefully with this, you know, we get to see more of this. And like Jonathan said, more legends or any other, you know, notable names that want to go to HBC, you know, and, and really help us be back on the map in terms of football. I'm so excited to see. Um, and so with this kind of moving on to our last point, we are beginning the 2000, the class of 2021, the graduation ceremonies. Um, and so I just kind of want to extend a special congratulations. Actually, one of our own fellows, Parker Owens, is graduating. He's a graduating senior, graduating for Morehouse this year. Uh, his graduation isn't happening just yet, but we know we have graduations happening this weekend and the next couple of weeks. So I want to say congratulations to you. Congratulations to the class of 2021. So excited for all of you. Um, so sad that you're leaving, but you know, I'm so grateful to have experienced you and, and you know, learned so much from you guys. Congrats, Parker, <laughs> and congrats, class of 2021. So, uh, with that, ladies like and gentlemen, <laughs> that is all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Parker Owens and co hosted by Jonathan Scott. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team, and a million thanks to our special guest, Christina Williams. My name is Alex Williams, and I've been your host. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts by subscribing to the Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Make sure to join us next time for another HBCU podcast and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.